Well, this morning is, um, if you like, the, the end of one thing and the start of another. It's the end of our week of prayer, um, which has been, as Eric has already said, a week of real blessing, a week of um, coming together and gathering and seeking the Lord's will as we um, start 2016. But today is also the start of something. It's the start of um, looking at the book of Philippians. It's the start of our discipleship explored, which the small groups are going to be looking at. So this is um, the nice logo. We're impressed with that, aren't we, with branding and things like that. But anyway, that's Discipleship Explored. If you're not part of a small group, um, the small groups will be following on from what we're doing on a Sunday, looking at the same passages of Scripture. Talk to Richard um, if you want to be part of a small group, if that's not you at the moment. So the letter of Philippians is written to this um, city here in um, Macedonia, in Greece, on the border there. And it's a European church, and this is where Paul is writing to. So just watch the screen for a minute. We're going to have a very brief video clip that sort of sets the scene for Philippians before we then launch into chapter one. So just watch the screen. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles in front of you, we're going to be looking at chapter one. And we're going to be reading from verses one through to verse 11. It's on page 1178 if you've got a church Bible in front of you. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you might be able to discern what is best and you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray, shall we, as we come and look at those words together. Loving God, I want to thank you for this letter to the Philippian church. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and the words that he has written here. And Lord, this letter is an encouraging one. It's a a letter that just brims full of hope and joy in you. And Lord, I want to pray that for the next few weeks as as we study this letter, as we unpack what this is about, Lord, that you will give us a renewed sense of joy, a renewed sense of confidence, and a renewed sense of putting you at the center of our church. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Hope you're looking forward to next Monday. You're all thinking, what's next Monday? Well, apparently next Monday is called Blue Monday. It's the most miserable day of the year. Probably not a day that we really relish. It's two weeks after the Christmas break. Apparently the bills start to pile in by that time. It's at least two, if not three months, until spring really starts to take effect. 
It's dark, it's miserable, it's wet, and it's cold, and it can be summed up in this equation. (laughs) All you mathematicians are now thinking, is that a real equation? Apparently so. I can't understand it, but apparently it's some kind of pseudo-equation anyway. But much of our day-to-day experience is influenced heavily by external things. I shall move on from that, otherwise you'll be looking at it, won't you? (laughs) You'll have to look at my next point. I'll tell you when we get into this. But much of our day-to-day experience in life is influenced by things that we can't control, isn't it? Things like the dark nights. You cannot control the dark nights. You can't control the weather. And if you put the TV on at the moment and you're flicking particularly on channels with adverts on, what are the adverts you see most of at the moment? Anybody? Holidays. You know, Thompson, all-inclusive holidays. People sat by the swimming pool, you know, looking like they haven't got a care in the world. And we're sat here thinking, when's this rain going to stop? When are we going to get that fine weather? Because actually, no matter how good our temporary bits of life are on earth, it is all temporary. Nothing is permanent. All earthly happiness comes and goes. Over Christmas, you know, we had some great times together as a family. Um, My niece got married on, I think it was the 28th, is that right? Um, And we had a great day together as a family. We, We had times of meals together with friends. We had people round. We went out for the day to interesting places. But it's all gone. It's all gone. We're back at work. Had a week of rushing around like headless chickens, catching up with all that stuff that you thought, oh, I'll get around to that at some point. But Paul, in this letter to the Philippians, effectively turns human wisdom on its head about happiness and contentment. Because contentment, according to Paul, is not about the stuff of this world. It's not about that next all-inclusive holiday. It's not about what we did at Christmas or what we're going to do for our birthday. It's about something totally different. It's about knowing our status in Christ and having confidence within that. So Paul writes this letter. And we need to remember, as we're reading Philippians, that it is a letter. Being a letter, it's a piece of communication. Now, we know Paul. We know what he's written. We don't really know a great deal about the church in Philippi. So from time to time, we have to do a bit of detective work and trying to work out, you know, what's he addressing here? What's he actually talking about? But um, it's, it's a letter that he writes, not from a deck chair by some beach in the Mediterranean, but as you saw in that DVD clip, he's in prison. He's in chains. He's getting beaten. He's in a place that is of utter human misery. And yet, what does he do from this place? Does he write a letter that is full of gloom and sort of woe is me? No. It's a letter that is brimming with joy and confidence. When we get to verse 21, which I think we we get to next week, and it was at the end of that DVD clip, what does Paul say? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If you remember anything else, if you forget everything else from Philippians, just remember that. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So we get two prayers in this first passage. One of them has been on the screen to stop you from looking at that equation. And it's about praying with confidence. This first prayer we see. And then we get a second prayer a bit later on about praying for growth. So what Paul does is he starts the letter as, you know, you would normally start a letter. Now, I don't write many letters anymore. I tend to send more emails or texts or messages on Facebook. But even then, how, how do we start a letter? Come on. Dear such and such. Now, in Greek um, letter writing of the first century, 
you actually started off by saying, it's me, such and such. So you notice at the beginning, what does Paul say? Paul and Timothy. This is who it's from. Paul and his co-worker, Timothy. Then what you do is you say, who is written to? So then to the church in Philippi, blah, blah, blah. And then you send a brief greeting. So we're dealing with a letter. We're dealing with something that is written very much like a letter. But notice who he's writing to. Paul is writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus. You know that word saints there? If we think about saints, we, we perhaps it's a word that's perhaps got a bit hijacked in church history. We're possibly thinking of particularly holy people who've done very special things. But actually that word saint just means the holy ones. But here it's the holy ones in Christ Jesus. Everybody who has been made holy through what Jesus has done. And you know this morning that is us. If you're in Christ this morning, you are a saint in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus has done. That is how God sees us, because of Jesus Christ. If Paul had been addressing Lynn Baptist Church this morning, he would have started a letter in the same way. To all the saints at Lynn Baptist Church. This is our status. This is who we are if we've accepted that call to follow Jesus. You know, what a privilege this morning to be able to call ourselves that. To be addressed as that. But that's who we are. A few years ago, I had um, what must be the most awful car in the world. I bought it, and it was when I was probably in my late teens, early 20s, so it's only just a few years ago. And um, this car, I won't tell you what car it is, because then it will really age me. But it, it was a Renault of some description. And when I bought it, it looked really nice. It was really smart. It drove really well. I had this car for three months, and in that time, I think it broke down either 13 or 14 times. So it was more than a weekly occurrence. And it was, it was basically costing me everything I had. I was taking it into the garage to try and get this fixed and that fixed and the other fixed. And it got to the point, now I'm not great at sort of DIY car stuff, but even I, was ta- I took the carburetor out and had it out on the kitchen table trying to clean it. Now, my mum, I think, was going mad, because my brother is really into cars, but he's a lot older than me. She thought when he'd moved out and got married that that was it. And then she came in with me with this engine dismantle, not having a clue what I was doing, but trying to fix this wretched car. But anyway, there was one day when I was driving over the M62. You know, on that top part where it goes up into the moorlands, and it's really, really desolate. It was about this time of year, and it was freezing cold, and it started blowing a blizzard. Suddenly, the car decided it was a good opportunity to suddenly lose all power. So I was going from, like, doing 60 miles an hour or 50. I, was, I, was, I wasn't going that fast because of the weather. And suddenly, I could do no more than about 20. So here I am, crawling along in this awful car, thinking, am I going to get anywhere, or is it going to conk out totally? I didn't have enough coats in the car. If I'd have had to stand on the side of the road, I'd have probably got hypothermia. So anyway, I limped along to this um, service station, put the car in neutral, put my foot as far down on the accelerator. There was an almighty bang, and the car was actually all right for about three days afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Then it broke down again. So eventually I got rid of it. But you start to lose confidence totally in something, don't you? You get to the point where you think, this car, this is not just safe. I simply did not trust it at all. Paul's prayer here for the Philippians is one of thanks and joy 
but it's also on a confidence in what Jesus is going to do. In verse 6, we move from thanksgiving in the present, if you like. You know, Paul is saying, I thank you for this, this, and this, to actually thanksgiving in the future. That's a bit of an audacious prayer, isn't it? If you were in church on Christmas Day, we we went round and we were looking at some of the presents that our young people have been given, and we were saying how important it is, you know, to thank God for Jesus and to to thank people for the gifts and things after that we've been given them. It's a bit of a bold step, though, for me to come up to you. You know, it's my my birthday in March, actually. And if I came up to you and said, thank you so much for the present you're going to buy me for my birthday, you might be thinking, well, that's a bit of a ridiculous thing to do. That is what Paul starts to do here. He starts to thank God ahead for what he sees Jesus will do in the future. Look at verse 6. Being confident to this, that he who began a good work in you will, look at the confidence in in that word, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus who has called you will keep working in you until he returns. We are not the finished product yet. God is working in us. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul lives with a real sense that Jesus is going to return, that the day of Christ Jesus is coming. And with this sort of backdrop, he has this confidence that actually Jesus is going to do a work in people until that day. That the gospel is not only here to save us, but to transform us from one degree of glory into another. So Paul's prayer is that the church will be kept being molded into Christ-likeness until the day of Jesus Christ. Do we have that confidence in the gospel that actually God will keep doing a work in us year by year, day by day, month by month? The Evangelical Alliance at the moment um, are actually doing a report and they're looking into the confidence levels that the UK church has in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're quite timely, really. And they, they write this, it was on their website this week, it says, is the church in the UK as confident in the gospel as it should be? Are you as confident in the gospel of Jesus as perhaps you should be? Am I as confident? And it goes on. It appears that while mission is clearly at the heart of what many churches are doing, talking about our faith as Christians is proving increasingly difficult. Are we confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you expect that this year will be a year where the fruits of the Spirit are growing more and more in your life as Jesus does that work in you? Are you confident that actually you will start to see victory over sin that you have perhaps long struggled with? Are you confident that by the end of 2016 you will be in a different place than you were at the end of 2015? Because Jesus has said he will do that work within you. You know, if we want to share Jesus, we have to be confident in him. If we want to see Lim transformed and our friends and our neighbors come to faith in Jesus, you know, we too have to have that confidence in the gospel. Confidence that Jesus will complete that work that he has started in us. 
So it's praying with confidence. The second thing here is praying for growth. Look at verse um, 7 and 8. We see that actually Paul moves on. He shares about a bit about his reasons for feeling like he does about the church in Philippi. And then he moves quickly on to this prayer. Look at these words. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. Now, I think that is an incredible prayer. An incredible prayer. You know, we've had this week of prayer this week, and we've been doing some, um, some having prayer meetings, and some of those have been, I think, for me, really precious times of, of seeking the Lord and also God speaking to us as well. But I wonder how much of our own prayer life exists on that kind of scale. I wonder whether we settle for mediocrity in prayer. You know, I think of my own prayer life. And last week we were looking at the Lord's Prayer. And I wonder how much of my own prayer, I don't know what, what yours is like, gets stuck on the give us this day our daily bread talk of prayers. When it's all that kind of pray for this situation or that situation or this or that or the other. Whereas how does Paul pray here? It's a massive scale of prayer. It's a scale for a complete transformation of the people in the church of Philippi. Look what he's praying about. That your love may abound and deepen in knowledge and insight. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Notice that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I don't know about your life experience, but I know in my own heart, I need to know that love of God on a deeper level. I need to understand what it is God is calling me to do outwardly in terms of loving other people at a deeper level have a greater insight and revelation into the love of God. You know, we live in a world that often um, is portrays in the media the kind of perfect body image. You know, people with beautiful slim frames and great physique and wonderful hair. Oh, how I long for that day. And, you know, people who have, you know, brilliant white shining teeth. And then we look in the mirror and we think, you tell me that I've got to love myself and love my neighbor as myself. And we miss the point sometimes. We can miss what God is saying. You know, perhaps some of us this morning just simply need to hear that God loves us as we are. He loves us. And that we can have that good image of ourselves because Jesus loved us and has loved us. We were bought at a price. You know, perhaps you just need to hear this this morning, that God loves you. And pray for that greater depth of insight. Galatians 2 verse 20. Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I think we also need to deepen our understanding of what it means to love outwardly, don't we? What does it mean to love our neighbors? What does it mean to put God first and to love him? How do we understand and unpack the depth and the height of the love that we see revealed in Scripture? Paul's prayer is that we understand, that we know more about it, but that it starts to make a difference in our hearts. Because actually, you know, it's out of love for God that holiness and purity grows. It's when we love God that actually holiness and purity grows. You know, we only sin when we're loving something else more than we're loving Jesus. We only sin in our lives and go off tangents when actually something else has taken our attention off the Lord and we start going down wrong kind of paths. Now, that may be that it's some kind of self-indulgent sin. We may take our eyes off Jesus and we may walk away from God's ways. But by loving God, what does Paul say? He says, we pray that we may be kept pure and blameless. If we love Jesus enough, if we're bowled over by his love for us, we will want more of him and less of ourselves. We will want more of holiness in our lives and less giving in to temptation. Growth in love will lead us to pure lives and blameless lives until Christ returns. If you were here last week, we were looking at the Lord's Prayer and, and we did a little bit on temptation and we had that um, DVD clip of the boy licking the chocolate cake. If you weren't here last week, come to me and I'll send you the DVD clip. It is fantastic and it's well worth watching. And we're talking about, actually, if you're tempted in a situation, what is the best thing to do? Flee from it, isn't it? Get yourself out of the situation because temptation can lead to sin. Now, I've talked about our dog um, quite a bit on Sundays. You're probably sick of me talking about her. Um, but our dog is very wayward. Um, she's absolutely terrified of cars. And take her anywhere near the road, and she embarrasses me by barking and pulling and lurching at traffic. And just yesterday, I took her for a walk um, around Dunham Massey, and we were literally had 20 steps to walk on the road. She nearly pulled me in front of two cars. It's just awful, awfully embarrassing situation. So what we have done, we've sort of gone cold turkey with the dog, and we try and avoid walking around the road. So, you know, we live just behind here. We normally walk her at the dam. We have to take the car to take the dog down the road. <laughs> so I'm there putting this dog in the boot, driving down the road to then walk her, and it just feels ridiculous. But it's the only way of managing the problem. Otherwise, it's like we both get stressed, the dog gets stressed, nobody has a good time, and it's just one of those sort of issues. But you know what? Doing that doesn't change the dog's mindset. Doesn't, I mean, I don't know. Can you change a dog's heart? <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that the right language? I don't know. If, so if you're a dog psychologist or a, a you know, dog whisperer or something, come and talk to me as to how I can change my dog's behavior. But you can't do it by simply removing the thing out of your life. You can't do it by just sort of changing it. The problem does not go away. You know, I wonder, actually, how many of us pray for that real transformation inside of us or whether we're just then acting like we're not with our dog at the moment. We're removing things, we're living the Christian life, and we're taking things out that are, tempting, that are tempting to us, but actually we're not in the place where we've actually been transformed enough by the gospel, so th- those things are no longer an issue. In, is our heart today 
that our love would increase for God to such an extent where those desires are transformed into something different. Where when we see temptation, we're not actually tempted by it because we love Jesus more than that thing we're tempted to do. That our hearts are transformed. I don't know what the first 10 days of 2016 have been like for you. I don't know whether you think they've been good days, bad days, indifferent days, or just days. Some days are just those, aren't they? But can I encourage us, as we set off looking at this book of Philippians, as we go into 2016, to pray this prayer. We'll put it back up on the screen in a minute. We're going to pray it together. That our love for Jesus may grow so that we can be pure, blameless, and confident in Christ until either he takes us or he returns. Look at these words again. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Can you invite us to stand? And we're going to pray this together. Let's pray out these words. Let's pray these and ask that the Lord will take these words and will do something new in us. Let's pray. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Lord, we pray that that prayer may resonate in our lives, in our hearts. Lord, that our love for you may increase, that you may give us a greater depth and insight into what your love means for us. And Lord, that we may become pure and blameless until the day when you return. And we ask it in your name and for your glory. Amen.